So, uh, this isn't actually designed to be, or wasn't by me anyway, a continuation of last week's message. This is because, unbelievably, uh, Sunday is New Year's Day, right? Is that right? Saturday is New Year's Eve. So we're, we're one and a half days away from 2023. Or, as the famous poet said, it's about to be 2023. Uh, <clears throat> so I, I, I've been talking to different people about optimism and what our feelings are about the year to come. And I understand there's a lot of weird things going on uh, culturally and politically that could signal that 2023 could be a rough year. There's a lot of economic talk that it might be, uh, different stories about inflation, things like that. But uh, so I, I felt like I wanted to ask us the question and try to give us permission to, to be optimistic. So uh, does an optimistic hope make sense? The subtitle is, if we can believe for a positive eternity, why not 2023? <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's probably going to be built on about the same basis. So that's where the connection is with last week. Let's start looking here. What might be your keys for optimism facing 2023? This is the verse that I'm going to build what we're going to talk about tonight on. These things I have spoken to you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Uh, this is equally a proclamation that there's going to be tribulation and that there's that Jesus overcame. So, you know, a person could make a case, well, that's not all that cheery. And I have to confess, and I have to some of you if you've been here a while, there was a time in my life when I actually said this to the Lord, uh, and I'm uh, slightly ashamed of it, but it just showed my ignorance at the time. Uh, I was reading that, and... I was thinking about some trouble or something and, and just the hardships of life. And I go, well, Lord, that's, that's great for you, but what is, you know, so what? What does that have to do with me? Now, that's an obvious testimony that at the time I knew nothing about union. I knew nothing about incarnation. I knew nothing about what we've come to know about. But uh, I think that this is an incredibly foundational, incredibly positive verse and uh, a revelation. So, just to kind of walk through it real quickly, here are some other translations of it. Uh, the part we're going to look at is going to concentrate on the idea of being good cheer and Jesus overcoming the world. But, uh, and the New American Standard says take courage. The uh, ESV, English Standard Version, there we go, sorry, spaced out, is take heart and so is the message. The message says, take heart, I've conquered the world, not just overcome the world. And then the Amplified, which I looked at again because it worked so well on last week's little <coughs> word study thing. They've got every base covered that you can get covered. <coughs> I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world you have tribulation and trials and distress and frustration. But be of good cheer. Take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted. For I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of the power to harm you and have conquered it for you. So I just thought that was good. I don't know, maybe I'm getting to be more sensitive in my old age and I'm liking the Amplified a little bit more. <laughs> so the first word I want us to look at and the concept behind it is the word tharseo. It's, uh, the Strong's number is up there. 
And it's translated in the King James as be of good cheer. It's translated in the New American Standard as take courage, and the ESV is take heart, and be of good cheer, but with all these modifiers. And so <clears throat> this is a definition, and I looked up several, and it's a, it's a straightforward word, so some of like Strong's definition is real short. This is from Thayer's, I mean from Kittle's uh, Theological Dictionary. It has the basic sense of to dare, or to be bold, and then to be of good courage, to be cheerful and to be confident. And also, when it's applied to a person or the things that a person does, this gives us the further sense of to trust in something or someone or to rely on. Now, the little note in the title, there's like seven instances in the New Testament where this word, tharseo, Tharseo is used, and it's used every time in the imperative tense. The imperative tense is a command. It's do this, do this, do this. And so here are some of the other usages. In Matthew 9.22, it says, Behold, they brought to him a man sick with palsy, lying in a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick palsy, a sick of palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins are forgiven. So you can see the translations the same way. Be of good cheer. But note that it's related to something else. In this case, your sins are forgiven. And you remember Jesus got in trouble in the crowd for that because who can forgive sin except God? So later in Matthew, in 22, this is about the woman uh, with the issue of blood, I believe. And it says, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. So be of good comfort. Same word. Tharseo. And then down in Matthew later on, and also in Mark, this is when Jesus came walking to the disciples after they had set sail across the sea, and he was walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Tharseo, it was in Greek, but he didn't say it in Greek probably, take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. So do you see the command nature of this? There's a reason you're being asked to do something, compelled to do something, and there's a reason for it. Like in that case, it's me. It's me. The last usage is in Acts chapter 23, and this is where Paul um, is dragged before the, the Roman magistrate there in Jerusalem, and he's they're, they're making all kinds of accusations and stuff, and he starts a big argument among them by saying that he's, in, he's here today because of the resurrection of the dead. And if you remember, he started an argument between the Pharisees and the Sadducees because the Pharisees believed in that, Sadducees didn't believe in that. But let me read the larger context because it, it, it'll, it'll help. Okay, so I'm going to read just a little bit out of Acts. And, and what I want you to be listening for, because the obvious verse is not that it's take courage, just like the others there. But I'm going to back up some to the middle part of this chaos and then apply that. In other words, try to let your mind summarize the situation Paul was facing when he was told to take courage. Okay? And then, and then why? So Paul, looking intently at the council, said, Brethren, I have lived my life with perfect good conscience before God up to this day. The high priest Ananias commanded those standing next to him to strike him on the mouth. And then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Do you sit to try me according to the law and in violation of the law order me to be struck? But the bystander said, Do you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I was not aware, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it was written, You shall not speak evil 
of a ruler of your people. All right, now, just plug whatever political, religious, social situation you want in there. And the, the nonsense, the abuse, the everything, okay? But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope of resurrection of the dead. As he said this, there occurred a dissension among the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor an angel, nor a spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And there occurred a great uproar, and some of the scribes of the Pharisee party stood up and began to argue heatedly, saying, We find nothing wrong with this man. Suppose a spirit or an angel has spoken to him. And as a great dis- uh, dissension was developing, the commander, the Roman commander, was afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, and he ordered the troops to go down and take hold, take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. Again, just let your mind and your imagination run with how chaotic and cacophonous the whole scenario is. Into this scenario, it says, but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause in Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. So let me point a couple of things out here the Lord stood at his side. This wasn't Jesus walking on the water, catching up with the disciples. It wasn't Jesus saying to the various people, don't be afraid, take courage, take heart. It wasn't Jesus standing there pre-crucifixion, talking to the disciples in our basic passage about, I've spoken this to you, you know, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. This was one of the simplest, most profound post-resurrection manifestations of Jesus in the Scripture. And it was in the midst of this political upheaval, in the midst of, and it was promising Paul something amazing. So the same relationship is here. Take courage. Why? Well, because as you have done this, so you must also witness for me in Rome. Now, I'm not sure that, was innately a big comfort to go to Rome under the same circumstances. But it's this, this is what we're talking about. So, as far as scope goes, this word, tharseo, and the concept behind it, can easily apply to you and me if we're facing a, financing, a financial job situation, a money situation, if we're facing political upheaval, if we find ourselves... In, uh, in a county that's been redistricted and we don't have very much uh, representation in our county, it doesn't seem. Uh, although, as you know, I'm growing quite fond with our, fond of our new representative as I pray for her. Uh, this is not just me trying to apply randomly a biblical reality to an event that's inevitable, which is the new year coming. And it's not trying to put lipstick on a pig. It's big enough to handle whatever we're facing in 2023. And we have to face it. It's coming, like my poem said. It's about to be 2023. <laughs> okay? So, that's that last verse is the one that, that, that gives me hope to both 
Give us permission and let that word have the imperative tense that it has in the New Testament. Take up this, okay? So here's the conclusion. The simple and consistent, consistent sense of this word, and it's always used as an encouraging command in the imperative, is to choose to be, to choose to take on, to choose to take up courage, boldness, confidence, and trust because of some overriding reality factor condition of presence to which the, the issue that you're facing is irrelevant. There's something bigger than what you're facing, bigger than the fear. And we have the option, because of that, we have the option to choose to be courageous, to choose to be of good cheer. Okay? Let's hold pressure on. The number two word is nakao, which comes from the word nike, which, com- which the English word we get for that is Nike. It's about overcoming. It's what the tennis shoe folks did to capture what their, their brand is supposed to represent, which is overcoming everything. So I have overcome is pretty consistent down through there. The message says I have conquered. And again, if you remember the amplified in the green there, it says I have overcome and I have deprived it, the world. The world is cosmos. I have deprived it of the power to harm you and have conquered it for you. So here's the, the lexical definition of this word, nikau. The word group denotes victory or superiority, whether in a physical, legal, or metaphorical sense, whether in mortal conflict or in peaceful competition. So it's used for sporting events in, in ancient history. It's used for uh, battles. It's used for life and death fights. The verb is also uh, used both intransitively to win and transitively to defeat. The former also impersonally, which um, the former would be the, the intransitive one. I don't know enough about that to make any more intellectual comment than I just did. While there are stronger and weaker usage in secular literature of this word, the distinctions are only of a degree. They're small. They're not significant to the root. The basic sense of genuine superiority and overwhelming success generally remains. It's also generally assumed that Nikau is demonstrated by an action or by the overthrow of an opposing force and that the success is palpable, palpable and manifest to all the eyes. In other words, it's not just theoretical. There's a real victory. There's a real overcoming. There's a real something like that there. And the reality of that adds substance to the hope. Okay? It, there's proof of it, in other words. What's the proof of Jesus' victory? Well, it's numerous. One of them is he's not dead anymore. Another is that lives are being changed every single day. The forgiveness in Doris's grandson. That's stunning. That's possible. Remember, we looked at the thing about John 2020, where uh, whosoever sins you forgive, they're forgiven. There's real power behind that. That's not just a moral admonition to us. So we know this stuff. We know this stuff. We know what it means to be an image bearer and to have the resources behind us to, to make a positive, transforming change. If we'll think about it in terms of what our hopes and our expectations are, it is more than sufficient to be irresponsibly happy and optimistic about this year. And that's what I'm going to try to do. Here's the other part. <clears throat> 
Now, against this fundamental prerequisite, the fundamental prerequisite, in the yellow there's the definition, the white's the little summary statement that I took out of there. The, uh, the fundamental prerequisite of this being a genuine superiority, overwhelming success, and being palpable and manifest and evident, uh, is that there are objections in various elements where this word's used in literature, uh, Nikhail, where it suggests that the realities of life, you know, may bring this into question. That there's going to be that this victory is real, and then it leads to a couple of questions that they said: Is the human eye sharp enough to discern between genuine and apparent victory? In other words, does it look like victory, but it's not really? Or can mortals ever finally achieve a true victory? And so, uh, if you were to study out in in the uh, Kittles, they refer back to some uh, stuff from Homer and various things like that, where the words used to kind of suggest that it's a false victory. But it's never used that way in the New in the New Testament. It's never used that way in the Bible. And it isn't really that way. That's not its meaning at all. It's just the irony of literature and the sort of cynicism of reality. And I would say, and the reason I enclose that and run the risk of this being confusing, is I think we're facing the same thing. The events that are going to unfold in 2023 are going to feel, they're going to fight to feel more real than the reality of Christ in us, hope and glory that we know. And we have to be conscious of that and realize that they don't hold a candle in any way, shape, form, or measurement. Now, have there been bad things that have happened? Yes. Have there been stories emerge out of those global bad things, those wars, those, no. Have there been stories emerge out of there, here and there and there that come to light that, that show the magnificence, the beauty, the redemptive power of Christ? Absolutely there have. Have there been lots and lots of stories where that side of it hasn't been made public? Yes. Are there any of those that are going to remain unreconciled throughout eternity? That's what you have to decide. I don't think so. I am coming to believe that nobody gets away with anything bad, ever. And I also am coming to believe that no one is not, no one's victimization is not going to be healed and redressed, ever. But that brings up the next thing. So, we'll get to that. So uh, here's some usages there. I just condensed the definition down there. He who overcomes. Now, Revelation 3.21, this is the way it's used. Again, the, the, the definition of this word being an overcoming thing, a victorious thing, and so on, it's not really in question. So that's not why I'm looking at these. But here's another uh, usage. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, you guys recognize, right, that this is one of the seven uh, to him who overcomes in the seven letters to the churches. Does anybody happen to know which letter that's a part of? Or have a guess? It's one of the churches, yeah. Do you remember which? Anybody online? Okay. This is the end of the section of the Laodicean church, which begins with, I wish you were either hot or cold. 
but I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now let me reread the specific thing. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Not that I ascribe per se to this interpretation of Revelation, but a lot of the church does. And the letter that most people think characterizes God's disappointment with the contemporary church, most characterizes apostasy, most characterizes, you know, is the one that unites the purpose of overcoming. He who overcomes will get to do exactly what I do as I sit in my Father's throne. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. The next one, this is one of those inside heaven only things. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. The whole process of everything being wrapped up into that the, the, the details that Revelation brings, as scary as they can be, as confusing as they can be, the whole thing about that being wrapped up and leading to that deal we were looking at last week, which is what's the end? The end is that all his enemies are going to be under his feet and God is going to be all in all. It's Jesus overcoming that set him up to release all that is. So, I'm just saying, whatever challenges 2023 holds, his overcoming and our union with him in it is enough. Enough. The because behind our tharseo, our being bold and daring and confident and courageous and of good cheer as we look at next year, is commanded to literally be a personal recognition of Jesus' victory over all the structure and the system that the cosmos presents no matter what. So these two words, the principle of being of choosing to be of good cheer, no matter what, and the incredible reconciling, writing, justifying, judging, healing power of Jesus overcoming gets added with two more gifts, and you'll be able to see this pretty good. Uh, this is in John 14, 16 through 20. I ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth from whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. That's the larger context for Tim's favorite verse. That day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. I would suggest that without going into a lot of detail, I can assert that the most significant characteristic that you carry as you go into whatever you go into, whatever we go into in 2023, is the fact that the Creator and the Redeemer, who is Spirit, fire, light, love, and love, is in you, and you are in Him. Nothing Short of that is a match for that in 2023. Nothing. Then Jesus said this uh, regarding the Great Commission. He came up and he spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me 
in heaven on earth. That's why I say there's nothing that's going to come. No scheme of the devil. No political thing. Nothing. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The first, or the gift number one of these final gifts that we have to combine with those two principles is the literal presence of Jesus with us and in us, our union with Him. That's what makes the difference. That's what takes away any legitimate reason we have to not be optimistic, to not count on goodness and victory. Might there be a battle? Mm -hmm. Might that battle cost us our lives? Good. That's all it can cost. It can't cost righteousness. It can't cost goodness. It can't cost eternity. And evil is hard to sustain for the long run. Because it doesn't have any kind of eternal source going. It's a cut off and withering branch. Disconnected from the root. It's short lived. Its beauty fades. Its strength and power are not commanded. This is. The second gift is pretty easy to see as well. This is a verse that I think is very significant. And I want you to think about this one as a, a verse in Scripture that reveals something that can actually make this happen for you. At least that's how I'm looking at it. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, this would not be the first encouraging admonition about facing the new year that said your faith was really important. But what I want you to understand is that, I, I mean, that that's really plain. The victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Look at what it says next. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And this thing brings us right back to something we already know. I'm going to get to it in just a second. It's not our faith as an abstract concept. It's not our faith. And here's where I think some of us, perhaps, and some people for sure, are going to go wrong. And they're going to suffer for it, emotionally and spiritually. Our faith is a gift aimed at at our belief in Jesus. Not every random thing that we might think would be nice. And I don't want to withhold your faithful prayers and expectations for anything. Finances, um, all this kind of stuff, you know, things being exposed, I know all this, but our faith is tailor-made as a gift from the Father to make Jesus real in our hearts, to connect us with His reality. And if we use our faith and we put it in the Republicans, for instance, the chances of us being disappointed are going to be really high. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for them. I'm not saying we shouldn't hope and all this kind of stuff. But there's a particular uh, situation going on in the Republic. Well, there's two particular situations going on in the Republican Party right now. One is the fight over the Speaker, which if it doesn't get resolved, could create all kinds of mess. Another is there's a um, young man, Congressman, that won a flip the House seat in New York. 
who lied on his resume about where he went to work when he went to school. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's super embarrassing. Okay? Now, I don't particularly have the reason to judge the guy or be too upset about it, but I'm also not going to allow. It's, it's enough to show me I would be misplacing my faith if I put it in my Republican friends to do something beyond what they can do as people. Same with the Democrats, same with the government at large, same with the courts, the bureaucracies, all these things. I think we should pray for them like crazy, believe for them. But if we let it, if we, there's, there's a mistake to be made if we allow our faith to be attached to something other than Christ and his overcoming victory. And that's just the essence of what I think is serious about this issue as we face the next three or four days getting in, and then the rest of 2023. You know, uh, the same thing could be said about the mechanics that are in our country. Um, crypto or precious metals. I think all these things are beautiful. I think there's wisdom to be had as we interact with them all. But let's be careful and hold only the, the most central, the most dear, and the highest place of our faith for the overcoming victory, which is already a historic, absolute reality. There's no question that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's one thing we've studied it. There's no question that you and I are in Him, and He is in us. There is no question that we are image bearers of the one who is spirit and fire and light and love. And so just be careful of what you anchor your expectation on. And be careful of cynicism. Because it doesn't appear that a lot of these interim things of government or politics or finance or ecology or whatever, it doesn't appear that, that they can deliver the thing that deserves to have hope in it. Well, don't give that part of your heart to those things. You don't need to be cynical. Love brings freedom. The gift that you and I have received of faith in Jesus is the second key element to add to the, the, the intentional choice to be of good courage. So here's how it go. These two gifts of presence and union with Jesus and faith in Him combined with the two keys of choosing to take up courage and boldness and good-hearted confidence, plus the intentional recognition of the absolute and historic overcoming victory of Jesus and his present day living that out in us and in the community around us and in people's lives. This brings us to something that we already understand and apply as we look forward with optimistic eternal hope to whatever the world or the country or the culture or the circumstances or the government or the economy, in short, the cosmos, brings at us, and this is it. Whoever confesses, that's you guys, that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. I know I've harped on this verse. I know that I characterized it as the one necessary response to God's love in creation, God's love and redemption. The one necessary response is for us to know and believe the love He has for us. But I think it's true. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. 
By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. I wish we could understand. I wish I could understand that more, that last phrase. As he is. Well, of course, as he is because he's in me and I'm in him. That makes sense. I can see all this stuff, but I'm still tempted. I'm still tempted, obviously, to place hope and expectations of some of these other equations, politically and economically and societally and culturally. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick story about, about it. But there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected. We love because he first loved us. So this thing about loving, it's not an impossible task. The God who is love and love again loves you and me. And therefore, we can love. I'm discovering that with Congressman Pedersen. And uh, we can choose to do this. Remember, this whole idea of be good cheer, it's in the imperative tense. It's to choose. Choose to believe. Choose to be encouraged. Okay? You don't have to be a victim of anybody's circumstances because Jesus died and rose from the dead and destroyed, remember, principalities and powers and all that kind of stuff? Okay, so, does an optimistic hope make sense? Well, it does. And yes, we can believe positively for 2023 on the exact same basis with the one necessary response that we believe in a positive eternity. And that is knowing and believing the love that God has for us. So, let me tell you a story that I faced yesterday, because this is very current. Um, so, the, the, I watched a couple news, little short news things. I manage my news intake pretty aggressively and pretty defensively. Um, but I watched a couple, and it wasn't too bad. And then I go, oh, I don't want to do that. And my phone sends me a little notice if somebody that I uh, have looked at before, follow, whatever, I don't even know how it works exactly, posts something on Twitter, and uh, a congressperson, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, posted something. And it was just a little admonition about uh, Kevin for speaker and Jim Jordan for something else. And I made the mistake of going in and looking at the comments. And they were so unbelievably vitriolic, hateful, murderous, gross. It was just unbelievable. And I read about, I, I said, there's got to be some positive comments in here towards this, this congressperson, this woman. And uh, I had to read about 30 of them before I saw the first positive comment. And those 29 were absolutely dark and gross and accusatory and spat of hatred and stuff. So, Nevertheless, uh, so anyway, it got to me. And I was just going, I don't want to, I'm not, not ready to go to bed. I certainly don't want to go to bed thinking about this stuff and having it all, you know, it was. So I uh, flipped on the TV uh, on Roku and went over someplace. And I noticed that, and I hadn't thought about this in a long time, but I noticed that The Chosen has a, a little app on my Roku. And so I flipped over there, realizing that it was just the first two seasons. It wasn't anything current. I was thinking maybe their new third episode was going to be up because I'd seen some advertising about that. And Vicky and I went and saw season three, episode one and two in the theaters. And it was really good. But it wasn't. It was just the first two theaters. 
I mean, the first two seasons. But I remembered how powerful the first episode of The Chosen was. It was the one where Jesus, in the end, goes into the bar, or is in the bar, and he goes after Mary, who's called Lilith at the time. And uh, you guys remember that scene? Did you ever see it? If you haven't seen it, oh my God. And if I try to describe it, I'll start bawling. So anyway, I watched that episode. And it just... And then I, I said, okay, I'm not quite ready. So I watched the next one. And if you remember episode two, with all the stuff of Nicodemus trying to investigate and all this kind of things and so on, it's when um, now Mary, healed, is hosting her first Sabbath in a real long time, first Shabbat. And Jesus shows up. And it's the first time she'd seen him since he came out of that bar and said, I've called you by name. You are mine. He's standing at the door. It's kind of awkward. She didn't invite him in. He goes, ah, can I come in? I don't mean to be rude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you remember, she uh, didn't remember that you only set up for Elijah during Passover. So she had an empty seat set for Elijah at the end of the table. And he told her, and she was, oh, that's fine. Well, I'll have a head start on Passover. So Jesus takes that seat. And she starts reading off a of paper because she doesn't have it memorized. The Shabbat prayer to the God of spirit and fire and light and love and love that was sitting at the end of the table, not as far as Marilyn is sitting from me. The reality of that, the reality of Jesus, the reality of his victory, the reality of his presence, cleansed all the bitterness and all the wickedness and all the darkness out that I had encountered when I was looking at those responses to Marjorie Taylor Greene. This really is. He really is our ground for hope. No matter what. So, yes. Happy New Year. Any thoughts? Yeah. Um, appreciate the word tonight. Uh, I know that we we can feel, we have a tendency, depending on where our eyes go, to feel a little less able than what we really are because we're united with Christ. Um, and if anybody's ever spent any time with me, you know I place a high, high value on on the spoken word of, of our Father to us directly. Um, I, I honor that a lot with other people. Um, However, I would also say this, um, when, when we are uh, maybe feeling uh, a little, and one of those scriptures you had tonight had the word, you talked about confidence, and confidence is such a key thing. Um, and when you don't have that, uh, to my mind, that's when the Bible, the scripture really becomes important because it's there. And so uh, I was thinking of Ephesians 4. I'll let every one of you go back to that and read that quite a bit. Uh, and then maybe pull some good stuff out of that. But specifically, the as a result, there, um, we are no longer children tossed here and there by waves. Uh, and and so uh, a good a good chapter to maybe go back and just chew on a little bit, just to kind of um, remind us if if we need the reminding. But but uh, I wanted to share that. Uh, maybe that's uh, that's something. Yeah. So. Amen. Amen. Yeah, you guys. 
Yeah, brother, I, I, it just this all just takes me back to my journey along the way, and I remember right at the beginning when my family had gone, I was on my, on my own here, and and it was just getting in his presence. My whole world had been turned upside down. Um, my whole, you know, everything had been taken away. A lot, not everything, but a lot of stuff had been taken away from me. Relationship, yeah, it was, and and and. And 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 I was just I used to go down. I've, I know I've said this before, but I just encourage people when things are when you're in despair, just know where you are in Christ. And I used to go down to where my car parks, and I used to get my my folding chair and turn it around, and I used to feel the the sun rising on my left, so I could feel His warmth. And I used to believe I shut my eyes and just get in His presence. And I used to see Him. In my imagination, just on my on my right, on my left. Sorry, because I'm on his right in Christ. And I used to just say to Papa, I say, "Okay, Papa, I'm here with you. What have you got to tell me? What are you going to teach me today?" And it is, it's like, and this last twelve months has been, you know, may the peace that surpasses all understanding guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Where do we get that peace from? And what is what I realize it's in his presence. When we put our eyes on things above, when we focus on him and not on what's all the noise going on around us, all the all the heartache, all, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the all that, when we concentrate on him, it's like we're getting this bubble. And then we can truly experience his love, his joy. Like how can you have joy in the in the in, in when, when you're in complete turmoil? Easy, just get in His presence because He is joy. He is love. He is peace, and that's that's what brought me through it. You know, there was times with complete anguish. The old feelings and emotions would like to do everything, but but it's knowing that they pass, and that's the other thing I learned. You know, this time will pass. He said to me, he said, use this, use this time wisely for it's your past. And I believe he says it to all of us. Use this time wisely for it's your past. Use this time to grow into the man or lady I predestined you to be. How do we do that? You take every thought captive and into obedience with my word, which is Christ. And so I just leave that plan for the, for the new year for everyone. Nothing. Absolutely nothing is impossible for those who believe. And it is one of the biggest things that I realize. I used to think I had to do stuff. But Ephesians 3, when, 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 when my beautiful son Ben, who is now in heaven with a, with a great cloud of witnesses, the night he died, God gave me Ephesians 3. And it's now unto him that is able to do. I can't do anything, but he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think or imagine. So be encouraged, everybody. Just be encouraged because I believe 2023 is going to be an amazing year in Christ. I think we have permission to believe that. And mm. I think we have the tools to back it up in Christ. Amen. Anybody else? Thank you, guys. Thank you. So, Father, we want the best. We do. We want the best for our country. We want you to be glorified here. We want people to um, have provision. We want healing to flow. We want love to abound. 
And Lord, it is going to happen. Lots and lots and lots. And there'll be places and there'll be times for a season, short or extended, where it won't look like it's happening. And so Holy Spirit, I ask that you would cause us to keep our eyes fixed on the finished realities, the finished nature of the work of Jesus. And that you would tempt us, I'm choosing that word carefully, to an optimism that is beyond what the circumstances or the possibilities look like. Because underneath and behind and above those circumstances is the overcoming victory of Jesus and the unquenchable love of the Father. Help us to know that. Help us to choose to be of good good courage and of good cheer. And we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the upcoming year, Lord. Amen.